0: Welcome to season seven of the Making a Marketer podcast with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Greteman Group and Xstand. The show is for all levels of experience talking marketing, business, and branding with the brightest of minds as our guests. Lots of learning and laughing. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 135 of the Making a Marketer podcast. I'm Megan Powers with Powers of marketing pumped for today's show and even more pumped to see my friend jen cole it's been well, like five whole days since i saw you last yeah
1: like we never get to you? say that i'm doing <laughs> great i'm having quite the friday
0: <laughs> that's standard nowadays we've been recording on fridays a lot and uh yeah i feel
1: like that's what you say every time I know. yeah well this one's been wilder than normal especially with okay. like <laughs> All kinds of crazy circumstances we've got going on in our world okay. over here. But how's yours going? How's your day? Good. It's been uh, full of a lot of like not
0: actual work stuff, but like, you know, educational figure out what I'm doing next work kind of stuff Yeah, (laughs) since I I did leave my full-time job. Um, Now I'm working on contract there for a few more weeks. But yeah, so I am out on my own once again. And speaking of that, our guest today is someone who I know because of that role. She is amazing. has been a super awesome partner through everything that I did and I'm doing there. So welcome to the show, Brooke LeBeau. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. We're happy to have you. We have not had a graphic designer a artist creator on ever like in the oh, whole 130 amazing. yeah first time in 135 episodes so <laughs> Great. I feel like we're having a lot of firsts but yeah so I'm really excited about this show let me share your bio Brooke LeBeau is a creative marketing professional based in Austin Texas and owner of Artfully Creative Studio her origins are in graphic design and filmmaking with professional experience in both marketing and fine arts Brooke has a bachelor's degree in graphic arts and film production from the University of Buffalo and a master's degree in fine art from New England College, setting her up as a Jill of all trades with a background in branding, digital and print media, websites, events, social media, content design, and consumer products. She's passionate about skills diversification and advocates for professionals re- imagining their approach to supplementary income streams. In 2022, Brooke formalized her freelance business and to date, Artfully has served over 20 clients and delivered hundreds of projects. Artfully focuses on providing a smooth results-based client experience that turns ideas into a tangible project plan. I think that sets us up well. We got all the things that we're going to get to that you're all about. Jen, why don't you kick us off?
1: Yeah, and I just, I gotta say, I love that name, Artfully. That's such a perfect name for this. All right, so let's dive on in. Starting from the very beginning, can you tell us about your journey from studying graphic design and film theory to becoming a freelance designer, focusing on brand identity and campaign development?
2: Yes, for sure. I feel like when you read everything out and there's just like a long bucket list of like (laughs) things that I've done, it's like, I just clearly can't make up my mind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm like that too. It's not a bad thing. It's a fun thing.
2: It is a fun thing. I love, like, I love jumping around. I just love the way, like, the brain works when you, like, obviously learning a new task is just like brain food. So I guess it it sort of started in the arts with fine arts. And so, like, my whole life, I've just, like, been a very artistic child that turned into just really artistic passions that led into when I got into college. And I didn't know like about graphic design, or at least I didn't have experience doing anything like that before. So when I like took my first college course, I was like, oh my gosh, you can be an artist and make money. Like, look at this. I was so excited. And I thought like, okay, this is like, because I'm a practical person as much as I'm like a whimsical creative type. I feel like that's often how we're talked about as creatives is we're just like, oh, these like bohemian whimsical folks. And like, yeah, that's true to a degree, but I'm... I'm also like a very practical person. So I found like a bridge between that and I was really excited. And then also tacked on filmmaking because why not? I also just really editing. And then toward the end of it, I ended up taking like a couple grad courses just on like film theory. So again, can't make up my mind. That basically led me into my career that started in print shop. So unlike a lot of graphic designers today, I got like a ton of like experience working on actual tangible print products, which is kind of unusual in today's like digital age. So that was actually really helpful kind of getting like a firsthand um, experience. And so that was pretty cool. And then, uh, I mean, as I know we'll talk about this probably a lot, but like as time went on, I just kind of picked up a bunch of skills out of necessity and me being the ever student was just like, okay, bring it on. Like give me a crash course in HubSpot and I'll master it. I got you. Right. Like it was just a lot of like go get them attitudes. And so that was how eventually it turned into uh, just a business out of um, being able to sort of tackle all of these different things.
1: Yeah, that's awesome, and I love that you enjoy. Like, I feel like editing is so tedious. It's, but some people just really enjoy it. Now, I, you know, after doing it for a while, you find, you get used to it and you get faster at it. But oh my gosh, in the beginning, that was one of the things I was like, "You want me to make a? You want me to make a real? Mm. <laughs> like, that's, there's a lot that goes into editing video. It's a lot harder than editing other things. So that's oh great gosh. to hear that you love that. But and then like, it, you have all of these things that tie into. Like you have literally the entire makeup of a marketing agency within your, like your knowledge base. It's, <laughs> you don't see that very often. Usually someone's like, oh, well, I I do copywriting. Oh, I do video. Oh, I do photo. And so it's really cool to see that you're passionate, literally passionate about all of it.
2: Yes. I'm like the opposite of a specialist, whatever that's called.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm an
0: everything girl. <laughs> I like that. I think it's
1: wonderful.
0: Don't need no niches. Heck no. Um, Yeah, I actually, you made me think of, I have one of my best friends, her daughter. She's an artist, fine arts, and I'm I'm losing the word, but she makes things out of clay that are, you know, like functional things. Sculpture, but also like, you know, cups and... Bulls and anyway, but she's getting her degree smartly in graphic design because I think like you, she was like, Oh, I think that would be fun, but also is a way to actually (laughs) make a living. And I used to say I started my career as a technical writer, and my joke was I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't want to suffer. So that's why I went kind of down that road. So it sounds like kind of kind of similar in that way. It's funny. Okay. So that's a great way to put it. Yeah. We don't want to suffer.
2: No, but you don't can do suffer. the other things too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So obviously you're much more than a graphic designer as we have discussed, but design really does touch almost every bit of what we do in marketing. It's the thread that weaves through everything. So I'm curious when you begin a project, what do you typically use as, as inspiration and does it help or hurt to have a lot of input from a client at the beginning of the process?
2: That's a great question. And a lot of the times, you know, it's kind of like anything, depends on the project. Sometimes, like, especially the the type of client too, some clients want like are very specific and have like a really keen eye. Like we deal with that a lot, where like, you know, visual people are generally have like very good tastes and very good eye for exactly what they want. Sometimes they give you like a very prescriptive sort of approach to things. And that can be helpful. And like you said, it can also kind of like take away from some of that creative process where like the the designer or whoever's working on like the art side of a project might have an alternative that like they're not looking at so that's always kind of like a fun line to toe back and forth i like to take the approach of taking into account um all of the factors so like context i feel like is one thing in graphic design like we think about oh things are visually pleasing they look like this they have these certain colors that evoke like there's tons of things on color theory the way typography makes us feel there's a lot of those technical things that obviously go into account to like the composition of a thing but a lot of that doesn't get talked about sometimes is the actual context is like, who's the target audience and what does that need to look like? There's questions about like where on our website or is this in emails? Is this a blog? Like what is the actual media that we're outputting? And do we need design there? Sometimes I feel like that's a case of over-designing. So we'll put a design somewhere that maybe it would be, better focus on something a bit more technical, like can still be part of design, but gives us a little more information and, and less about like, you know, like a brand exercise on just like getting your look and feel out there. So there's a lot of different factors that I over the years have started to take into account that I almost feel like is just as important as outputting something beautiful and and clean and all of those other you know descriptor words. So that's something that I'm always very interested in learning about my clients is getting really in like the nitty gritty of their goals, their business models, and then kind of helping them along the way saying like, okay, like if we take this approach, here's how it trickles down to everything else. And here's how we can make something like really comprehensive that the customer really resonates with because we're meeting them where they are and not giving them additional information that they, you know, might be distracting instead of helpful.
0: Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason for me asking this is because I feel like often we just ask you to do something and we don't actually tell you how we want it done. And then that from that can come and you almost always nail it anyway, because you know, the company so well, and you're the one that put together the brand identity. Like I laugh when someone like asked if you were using the right like hex colors or something. She didn't use that term, but I was like, of course she did. She made it. She's a professional. No, but she's also the one that created the files. (laughs) Like I was like, hello. But yeah, you usually nail it. But then I do feel like when we come back and we say we want something different, it's like, should we have given you better direction to begin with? And maybe sometimes yes, maybe sometimes no, I think is what I'm hearing. Based yeah.
2: On... I mean, creative briefs are always helpful. Like there's a lot of information there that sometimes just like a, a business function that like as like a creative professional, it's a lot of parsing through like what information is relevant for what I need to do. And what information is maybe not relevant at like a particular stage of a project. And then also like filling in gaps for stakeholders. Like if sales hasn't been talked to about something that's going to like deeply impact the sales organization, it's kind of being able to look through any sort of project brief and kind of ask those questions as well. Yeah, for sure.
1: All right. Right. So your background is in both visual arts and marketing. And that I, you know, again, I think that that's fascinating. So how does your cross disciplinary approach influence your creative process and the projects that you take on? So, yeah, the visual arts side of it, I, when I went to get my MFA, it was very much like not,
2: it wasn't a graphic design program. It was a traditional like fine arts program. So uh, what was interesting is as I sort of reentered like the visual arts and like an academic space, I was asking myself like a lot of questions. I felt like I was fighting with my designer and marketing nature a lot of the time in that process, which was really interesting to like, think deeply about. And there ended up being, and I, there was a couple other graphic designers that went through the program and there was this weird sort of natural evolution from like flat, like, you know, like. 2D works to having sculpture and three-dimensional kind of thing. So that was a kind of, that was the direction I ended up going. And I, I think that also has to do with just context because like our urge as marketing designers is to be very descriptive and literal and the fine arts, um, oftentimes it's about like nuance and commentary on society. So there's a lot of like being prescriptive and telling like the person gazing upon a work of fine art to like feel away is just not going to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> (laughs) So I found that I was constantly wanting, like I constantly wanted people to look at it and interpret it in very specific ways. And over the course of the program, it ended up that a lot of my sculpture works ended up being monochromatic, so I added no color and they were basically anti-form. And so I basically started to remove information from these particular like fine artworks and sculptures just as a way of sort of like opening up the viewer's eye to like more considerations. I found that I got a lot more feedback that I was trying to get people's reactions from by actually including less information as opposed to more information. So that was kind of an interesting parallel between the two. But I'm a big fan of like, it doesn't matter if you learn a skill that seems completely irrelevant to your day job. I feel like if you, you know, find a way for creative problem solving to sort of apply that to to your day to day stuff. I mean, everything influences each other. We're humans. It's we're not. Yeah. machines.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. But are we? Um, I mean, I, robots? Yeah, I don't know. With <laughs>
0: Autopilot. Some days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was thinking more of
1: like an a-
2: me being an AI. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah, AI is very interesting for um artists, just in general. Just an interesting like thing to think
1: through. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine. Uh, yeah, as an artist from that perspective, whoa, uh, there's some stuff out there that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's amazing what it can do. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, those yearbook photo things lately. I'm just like, holy, they just know everything, don't they? <laughs> I know.
2: It used to be like Photoshop. Like you could Photoshop yeah. a picture and really psych people out.
1: People like, did yeah. that
2: really happen? And now everyone's too smart. They can like sense yeah. a photoshopped photo from a mile away. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> At the 49ers so games they
0: put up a, a, a picture of two faces combined, two players' faces combined, and then they ask one of the other players to guess who the two people are. It's oh, always pretty fine. funny to see I, their that's reactions. hilarious. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> All right. So I think we walk a fine line. Uh, when working with clients sometimes in terms of wanting to respond and turn things around as quickly as possible while also trying to get them to adhere to our service agreements with them. And I feel like you are so full of grace and you're very accommodating in this way. How do you strike a balance between keeping yourself sane and obviously, and you have other clients and then keeping the, the client happy?
2: That's a great question. Sometimes I feel like when I've been with clients for a long time, they forget that I'm not like a full-time employee. <laughs> and so yeah. I end up getting in those situations that like when you're in a full-time permanent positions with the company, there's a lot of like quick turnarounds. There's a lot of... Ads for things that are very, even just like specific to just overly specific in a a way that like a contractor doesn't necessarily like, I don't have all of the information as far as like business functions, goals, and like what their planning is for most of my clients. I just, that would be a lot to do for like, you know, six active clients at any given time. So I feel like it's sometimes that, and I find that on the onset of, if possible on the onset of a project to sort of try your best to set expectations, right? Like we're always trying to, Do it. That way it doesn't usually pan out exactly like that. But trying to just set those expectations and then even as a contractor, it's fair to say no. I feel like sometimes it doesn't feel like you can say no. And I'm not, I'm not usually a big proponent of giving like a flat no. It's just not a very like workplace camaraderie attitude to have. But there is like a not now, I feel like preface that we can say, like, okay, not now, but here is my here's my plan for how we'll get that done for you. And I'm really proactive, even in like a project management capacity with clients just to give them a sense of like, this is like what we're going to do. Here's the timeline for what we're going to do it. And like understanding and being flexible myself that like business plans change, people get busy, people get sick. Like there's going to be delays. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, when like managing schedules and stuff, I build in time for myself to actually plan for that kind of thing so that I can be you know, as like, I can kind of accommodate clients as much as possible. I've just found that uh, over a couple of years of just doing this kind of thing to try and plan for it myself and then try to anticipate outcomes as much as possible, which, you know, we try. What is it? The the path paved with good intentions? What is it? I forget
0: the phrase. I don't know. I'm not sure. But you know what you mean. Um, Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. And you hit the nail on the head with the like feeling like you're part of the team because Mm -hmm. you've been so available. I know I also, when I put something in Slack, like for me, it's asynchronous unless I say emergency. Like I know that you'll get to it when you get to it, but I know I'm not everybody is quite that like there are time zone differences and that can kind of play into um, when we're available also to do things like it's six o'clock I'm making dinner for my family or whatever like I'm picking my kid up from school or whatever all right very good well, and you're like I said, you're do you awesome either way. All right. It is halftime, brain break time, and it is October. So I love me some Halloween. So I want to talk about how everyone decides on what your Halloween costume is going to be each year. I know I have a method. I have a thing <laughs> I love your um, and a reputation to live
1: up to <laughs> yeah. with my Halloween costume. So Jen, you saw it first. So what's yours? Uh, you know, it is kind of varied over the, and I think having kids definitely has helped me with the planning part, but we kind of like to go with a a little bit of a theme. So I kind of talk to the boys and say, Hey, what do you guys want to be for Halloween? We start this conversation now in like March or April. We are thinking ahead. (laughs) We are pros and we host the Halloween party. So I'm talking to the boys about what they want to do, talking to Tim about what he wants to do. And then I'm like, okay, 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 okay. From this, I can do this. And so this year, Nick wants to be Jesse Pinkman. Nathan wants to be Walter, you know, from Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Tim yeah. wants to be, oh my gosh, the guy from <sighs> Brain... Better no. call Saul. Saul? Actually, we're, no? we're not doing, we're not all doing Breaking Bad because I'm Moira. rep. Oh, okay moira rose oh, from schitt's okay. creek the crow version in fact i have part of my costume right here tim that's is awesome. from nirvana what is his name why is it like brain blanking on me right now what's his kurt cobain's last oh. interview that's what he's being for halloween so we've all kind of taken this kind of pop culture weird unexpected kind of approach and so that's just kind of it's not a set thing but it's kind of how we do it every year okay
2: that's cool Brooke, what about you? Yeah, so similar. My son is almost two, so he's still very young, so I can kind of dress him up in whatever I want still. (laughs) So that's been really fun, kind of reimagining Halloween just with like a little kiddo. He is been into dinosaurs; has been his thing for the last year. Everything is dino. I mean, he's two, so his language is still like very much in development, but he can say dinosaur not just dino, which I'm always amazing. I'm very proud. He loves dinosaurs. So naturally I was like, okay, we're going to do Jurassic world and I'll get him a little dinosaur costume and I'll dress up as I forget the other two's names. And my husband will dress up as a Chris Pratt's character. And so we're like, okay, this will be great. So I buy him this costume and it's just a cute little Brown dinosaur costume with a little hat. And he's terrified of it. (laughs) 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 Oh. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> so I've left it out so he can kind of play with it and get used to it but I'm not totally unsure if I'm gonna have to come up with a whole different costume before Halloween
0: <laughs> make a little a little bar- barney and make small.
2: it a little more friendly yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh purple dinos that's, uh,
0: that's so cute I love it oh my gosh yeah you yeah never know what, what they're no. gonna think. Yeah. All right. Well, I, for many a year, I make my own costume and I'm usually something, an inanimate object. So I've been a loofah. I have been a stoplight, candy corn, a remote control, lots of different things. And the last few years, I've I've been doing pun costumes. Like I was holy guacamole. And then I was a ceiling fan. So I was like dressed like a college fan with a pom pom and a sign and buttons and a sweatshirt and everything thing number one number one seal you know ceiling number one all that kind of stuff so that that won me some money uh, for creativity but all i did was google pun halloween costumes and it was i was like like the easiest one i could do right without spending too much additional
1: money so um, holy guacamole was pretty immaculate
0: it is decent. i had uh, at yeah. last weekend, I passed the picture around to see if anyone could guess because that's the <laughs> other thing is I don't tell you what I am. You have to guess yeah. it. Like it's not going to be that easy. I had a green dress on and I had felt avocados all over it and then like little tiny onions and tomatoes and um, and then I wore a nun's habit, like a the <laughs> ha- habit on my head and I had a rosary on, around the, the neck and then I had a rosary on. So. That's incredible. Uh,
1: <laughs> so clever it's so, so clever
0: i <laughs> love it i'm not sure that's what i'm gonna friend. be this year yet yeah <laughs> but, but it'll be something i get I, I need to get it figured out but it'll be it'll be a pun of some sort that's the other thing Ash, i can't cat, like, GBT, tell you well but i can't say it because then, then no. it'll that give it away, the fun but, out of it Answer? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Awesome. I, I love it. Jen, let's kick off to half two. Ah,
1: let's go with half two. Oh my goodness. All right. So you advocate for a cross-disciplinary approach to creativity. How do these various disciplines intersect and complement each other in your work? And whether it's marketing campaigns or, you know, all the way from down to sculpture installations, which by the way, I find hugely fascinating. Oh, that's awesome. I haven't done a lot of sculpture work. In In the last couple of years, admittedly, I've been so
2: busy with, well, life. (laughs) Yeah, um, I know. It happens. (laughs) It happens. Life gets ahead of you. But yeah, I really advocate, I mean, for everyone, but specifically in creative professions, because I feel like there's a lot of just skills that a lot of creatives have that oftentimes it's, you know, like this is just for, and this is just for myself. And sometimes that's enough. Like if you have like a hobby, that's just for yourself, then that's like your downtime. But a lot of the times I feel like just thinking outside of the box, as far as how we take like these, these hobbies and other passions that we have and how can we, you know, not necessarily capitalize on them, but just how can we integrate them into maybe a business that we already have going. And so like I have obviously Artfully Creative, which is like the primary like servicing clients. But I've talked through like doing some sort of healthcare specific sort of offshoot of that, that offers sort of package deals. So thinking about like, how can we take like that experience in healthcare industry that I have over like the past seven years and and apply it to something that is sort of like a sub brand of something I already have going. And then, you know, whether it's like creative writing or I'm trying to think really, really anything. I mean, I have, I even have like an Etsy store just because I like designing fun, like consumer friendly, like things that mostly, honestly, it's just like t-shirts I want for myself. And so I just (laughs) design my own version of it. And and then I like shoot it up on an Etsy store because it's easy enough to do that kind of thing. And so it's just like that kind of thing where how can, I mean, it's 2023, the amount of like online tools for like selling things or, or like coming up with like a system within a business for things is there's, I, I, you know unfathomable amount. So it's just like doing stuff like that, that I think creative professionals, you know, if there was like a book on it, that would be, that would be like a great text to read, like how to yeah. sort of, you know, how to kind of take your interests and, and apply them in other ways that maybe you haven't thought of, because I feel like we all kind of get stuck in that too, where it's like, Oh, this is my job. And this is what my job looks like. And it's like, your job can look like whatever you want your job to look like. Yeah. You just, if you can think of it and find a way that it applies and have that aha moment,
1: like do it. See, you should go around giving keynotes on that. Like that is such excellent information that anyone can use, and people just don't think about it enough. They really don't. Like I think it's fun to get a little bit creative and, and think of. It. And then, of course, I'm engaged to an. an an idea guy. I can't tell you how many ideas Tim has all the time. <laughs> now, whether we execute or not is another thing, but like, it's, it's fun to think those things through and then to actually put something into action. It's a whole nother thing. It's just a high, honestly.
2: Yes. Yeah. Because it wears off pretty quick. You have this like brilliant yeah. idea and then you get like, you know, like 10 hours into the project. You're like, maybe not.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like This
0: is tedious. <laughs> that's funny. Well, I mean, Jen and Tim own a business. Yeah, That's, we so that's kind of their side thing but in order to really make it be something, you also have to have the time to dedicate to it. So they, while they have it, it's kind of doing its thing on its own, but they're not yeah. actively. But I think Brooke, you and I have had this conversation before. Like Also, me still continuing to do my own thing as on the side of my full-time allowed me to not have a parachute because it's not enough to live on the, the money that I'm making in my other business, but it's definitely there so that I, I feel like I can go back out yeah. on my yes. own, like I've, I've done it people are like, oh, wow, that's gutsy, you know, quitting without a new job. But I mean, I just would rather be fulfilled and fully happy in life versus like just collecting a paycheck and then and not and and feeling the way that, you know, not feeling in a a positive way every day. A
2: hundred percent. And that's where like having those side gigs and that supplementary income coming in, like, yes, it gives you sort of like a, a not even a crutch, but just like a little a little padding, like you said, just to kind of feel a bit more comfortable doing something like that. I mean, anybody could get laid off tomorrow and like how nice would it be to like just have like a little something to if nothing else just to keep your mind busy and just give you like something to be passionate about when something like that happens which is happening all the time like right now so I feel like that's part of it and then also companies if employees are I feel like doing side gigs or other hustles that are getting their minds operating in a different way or even getting them involved in like a different facet of business, like all you're doing is having an employee that's full-time that's got another skill that you didn't have to pay for the training for. So I feel like all companies should encourage that. I don't (laughs) see why it can't be a (laughs) win-win. For sure. Yeah. Right.
0: And assuming (laughs) they're not totally miserable in the job that they have, potentially they're a happier person just in general because they are also getting, you know, feeding their um, soul with or brain or whatever the case may be with with something else. So, and actually this this leads into my question which is about diversifying income streams. Um everyone can as we said can be served by having a side hustle. So, I would love it if you tell us a little bit about well, you just you just talked about it but you got laid off. And so this was sort of the impetus, right, for you starting this business. So um, talk just a little bit about that process, but also if you have any tips that you could provide provide our friends out there for balancing what may be on the side with full-time and not have, you know, not killing yourself.
2: Sure. Yeah. So yes, I did. I got laid off and luckily I already had a few clients. So honestly, for me, I had been thinking about going out on my own for a while and it was, it's uncomfortable. It's scary. And, and taking that leap can be, you know, really uncomfortable. And so I almost feel like I kind of got forced into it, which was like the best thing that could happen was getting laid off. So that was great. I actually, I wasn't super sad. Like I had, I had a business that I was like super eager to ready to jump and go for and so i i got my website published i started reaching out to people i had tons of old bosses from this previous position and so i just called everybody up was like hey what's going on this is what i'm doing and the amount of support from my network was just incredible and heartwarming. And I something that I it's not like networking, I hate the word, but like networking isn't natural yeah. to me. So to, to even do that was like way out of my comfort zone. And it's becoming a little more of my comfort zone to do those kinds of things because it's just worked out so well for me. And if nothing else, it's just nice to catch up with old coworkers. So that was kind of what that was kind of what happened in my situation. And then yeah, so it's kind of just evolved. It's evolved from there. And when when in a full time position, obviously like some weeks are like super busy some weeks are not super busy and you have time to work on those passion projects so with that being really irregular i a lot of nights and weekends working on client work which was a lot of easier before having children <laughs> but um still manageable just kind of making myself as efficient as possible and sort of like booking out that kind of time in my day just to work on those kinds of things. And also as you go through things and like now I've been doing graphic design for so long that it's, I can pretty easily guess how long a project will take me at least from like a production aspect. So, so kind of like logging those hours and figuring that out, I feel like is the best way to incorporate that into balancing with, with the full-time job. Cause it's, I mean, people do it all the time. It's definitely possible. So I just feel like making sure you don't set yourself up for something that either you're going to miss your deadlines or, you know, drive yourself absolutely crazy trying to meet deadlines.
0: <laughs> right. No, for sure. I think giving yourself that buffer and being realistic is important. I know that I, cause my first business was uh, designing And developing websites back in the stone ages. And um, I would overpromise, I would be like, oh, I can get that done for you in a week or two or whatever. And then I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? You know, like, so I think that's like a, this a learned skill over time when like, you know, like you're saying, like once you're doing it for a bit, giving yourself that buffer of, and and then if you deliver early, then you look even more like a hero, right?
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
2: And I feel like setting it up in the project plan too. Like I do this now where when I send out a proposal, it's got a timeline and then like there's a Mm -hmm. big asterisk against like, this is what client will provide if client doesn't provide it. And most clients are super reasonable. They're like, yeah, I was late. I didn't give you that, that copy like until a week after, like I said, I was going to. They don't expect you to suddenly like rush your timeline up three weeks just because of, you know, an interruption in a project. So I feel like writing that out at the onset of the project too just gives a little bit of like, expectations yeah
0: at least they shouldn't but also setting like up to three changes or whatever like so that they don't feel like it it's this endless loop of right oh well actually I really don't like it that way let's do it this way you know and you're like 10 iterations later like come
2: on
1: (laughs) you're back to the first one
0: (laughs) yeah exactly We try to do that with
2: like, here's your three concepts. And sometimes they want hybrid concepts and that's fine. But like you try and be like, here's your concepts and here's what we'll like start from. And, you know, it doesn't always work out that three, three changes, but
1: (laughs) right. Right. It's always good to set boundaries and try to stick to them anyway. It so. is.
2: And honestly <laughs> right. being flexible I I've, I've found sort of like correlates well to like client longevity so just like being like an understanding person it has just been a lot of client relationships is just being you know reasonable and understanding
1: yeah i think yeah the more communication the better honestly when it comes to managing expectations and timelines you know really <laughs> If you're a yes person, like I, I've been the yes person too, and uh, shot myself in the foot and became insanely overwhelmed with yes. overthinking and everything. So, yeah, just I love everything you said about the buffer time and, and, <laughs> And managing a timeline. So, living in Austin, Texas, which by the way, sounds amazing. I love that city. How does the local creative scene and culture influence your work? And are there specific projects or experiences that you have been, you know, that have been particularly impactful during your time there? That's a great question. And I will start by saying we moved to Austin in December of
2: 2019. Nice. So, 3 months later, everything shut down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: so we were so <laughs> ex- beat
2: it. I know. We were so excited to move to like the city with like a great art scene and live music and just tons of uh, events going on to not be able to attend any of said events. But I mean, obviously now everything's back to some version of normalcy. And so it's been good to get out there and kind of see what things are doing and like Austin is known for having tons of big tech companies that are moving out of California into Austin. And so there's just like a ton of that kind of innovation going on. And so it's, it's obviously really exciting just to, in my own little sliver of the world being like a small part of that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We have not made it to um, like South by Southwest and like has the business kind of sector of like stuff. I've not made it there yet, but I am every year looking at tickets and dying to go. So if you guys want to go to South by Southwest, let me know.
0: Or Austin city limits. Really
2: Cool. Oh yeah, that one looks
0: so good too. You also made a baby since
2: (laughs) that's yeah, that's that's I I don't give myself (laughs) enough like lax for that. Like I keep like, okay, we moved in 2019, had a baby in 2021. So like I keep you're right, Megan. I should
1: give myself a little more slack. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) It's life changing. Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay. So we like to ask everyone the same question as our, our closing question. And our question now is, what is one business challenge you've experienced in your career? And how did you overcome it? Or what did you learn from it that may help our listeners?
2: We've already talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to talk about like being hired for one job and then priorities change. And then you end up kind of doing like a totally different job. Which, I'm not, I'm not at all familiar with that right. phenomenon. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <"Right."> <laughs> Megan is going to resonate with this question. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that just because I feel like it happens to all graphic designers in part, just because like, how do you define graphic design in 2023? That it's kind of hard to put a, like a specific job description, even down for all of the things, at least in internal marketing departments, graphic designers do, because you're not just like making pretty things all day. <laughs> And you're also not spending like, you know, you're not able to spend like two weeks concepting something and then maybe given like three months to actually, you know, create the assets and and the project plan for something for like a big campaign. I mean, maybe if you work in an agency, you have that kind of luxury, but I've never experienced that in like an internal marketing department before. So the example I have for this is uh, I was at my previous company and a couple years in, they decided to actually split the marketing department in half. There was like two different sort of sectors of the business. One was a product and one was like a base distribution business. And so I was put on the product side of the business and I was the only designer there. And so something super funny that happened was events then fell under that bucket. And so I had never planned an event. I had never been to a trade show. I had never really <laughs> had any experience with it whatsoever. And suddenly they're like, okay, Brooke, we have a trade show in two weeks. Like, what are we going to do? And so I was like, okay, this is my sink or swim moment. So I just, <laughs> you know, picked up the presenter guides and read through it and had to figure it out. Cause I mean, we had to be there. And so that was actually one experience that introduced me to doing like a lot of budgeting. It introduced me to doing a lot of like relationships management with the different vendors that you have to like, you know, rent things through. And so I got a lot of interesting skills that not necessarily would fall under a graphic designer. Like why would event planning be a graphic designer's job? <laughs> but yeah, it was. Right. <laughs> right. And so that was actually a really valuable experience because I got a lot of, I got a lot of skills from that, that just helped me just in a general business sense and understand things just on a higher level. So that was, ended up being pretty good. But as far as, um, you know, like being asked to do a job that you're not necessarily hired for, I mean, I, A lot of that came up in this position, a lot of like being asked to learn to do things. And while at the beginning and for a while, it was really great to, you know, like, oh, I get to learn this new web software platform. I get to, you know, get my hands into the social media plans. I get to work on content. I even got to copyright a bit. Like I was like in everything. And that was really good for a while, but it was a result of a lot of turnover. And so everyone was just kind of picking up slack and it was very stressful. Lots of working constantly, like tiring myself out. I didn't know how to say no. So it was just a lot of doing that kind of thing. And so I guess like my advice besides learning to say no long before I did, or just exiting the situation, which I have the habit to like marry every company that I work for. (laughs) I get very <laughs> invested. And so I feel like I end up like marrying myself to them. And then that just kind of situation happens where I'm just like willing to do whatever it takes. And that's something that now that I own my own business, I don't do anymore. Um, one of my rules for myself. So I guess it's just a matter of, you know, saying no or leaving, or I mean, taking what had ha- what happened, which was I gained all of these skills, I had all of these new, you know, experiences and practice. I basically got a lot of practice doing things at my day job that then led me to being able to go at it on my own. So I can't say it was like, it was a waste or it was terrible because it, it's gotten me to where I am now. So, I mean, just right. taking everything as a glass half full and whatever positivity can come out of that and, and just rolling with it.
0: Yeah. That's a great perspective. For sure. And it's funny. I love that You got your taste of event planning because it's people who don't do it. Like, you don't know what you don't know. But the level of detail and the things that get done, all of the little things like that nobody knows about, because why would you talk about the fact that you did this thing is like, I think that's why it's so hard for people to understand why it's expensive to plan an event. Mm -hmm. Well, and the person that does it why there's so much time involved you know exactly so.
2: yeah it's so much logistics as much it is, as it is like coming up with a strategy and then mm-hmm. I always found it interesting when you got to like the postmortem for an event and then you're trying to like explain you know like an ROI and it's kind of hard to do that with events <laughs> a lot of the time when you're in there as like an attend or as like um, a booth capacity just because they're so expensive and there's no right. super cheap way to be there in that way. So right, but, that, that always sounds really interesting.
0: Yeah, if you're not selling something on the show floor, right, it's also going to take time, right? Like so, then it becomes a matter of what is valuable. Is how many people you scan valuable or how many really high quality meetings you had that could lead to business. But also, like the time frame for closing business is usually, you know, fairly long, depending on what you're selling. So, yeah. So it's important too to always be like, OK, let's we'll make sure we can tie it back. If, if it takes six months to close a deal, we met them at this trade show. And so there's still great value in that. And it will always pay for itself. Uh,
2: Yeah. That's a really great point too. A lot of the time, like, are you looking at a sales cycle six months, Mm -hmm. a year, like whatever your sales cycle is, depending on whatever product or service you're selling. That's a really good point. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, this has been so lovely. I know that our listeners really will get a ton of value out of learning from your journey and hopefully get a little motivated, a little inspiration if they're kind of on the fence to to try their hand in something new. So thanks so much for being with us today.
2: Of course. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yeah.
0: And Miss Jen, as always, Thank you for being you. Well, thank you for being (laughs) you, Megan. I just
1: love you. (laughs) We're sharing the love. Share all the love. Indeed.
0: (laughs) All the love. All right, friends. If you enjoy this show, we would love if you would share it with a friend or colleague. And also, if you're listening to this point, you may be one of those people who does read show notes. And we have a link to a survey, a listener survey in our show notes that we, I should be saying this at the beginning now, but alas, I forgot. I get all excited about about kicking the show off. And then I forget to do some of these things I've been trying to do on the front side. But if you would take our survey, we want it to become more of a two-way conversation versus us just talking to you. So um, please do that and give us some feedback. All right, friends, this has been episode 135 of the Making a Marketer podcast. And we will catch you next time.